It just sounds like we're talking about something luxurious and completely out of reach that maybe one day you'll be able to have, but it's not really so important because I'm a mom and I'm supposed to be exhausted and I'm supposed to feel like I got hit by a Mack truck on a day-to-day basis. And I just want to tell you that just because that might be quote unquote normal, i.e. it might be common, it doesn't mean that it has to be your normal because it's not my normal and my moms are sleeping. Are you done with being that pregnant or postpartum mom in the gym who is always stuck on the sidelines feeling horrible, saying, how come no one ever told me this? Are you ready to finally say no to a mom life filled with excess weight, injury, overwhelm, and fatigue? Then help is here. Welcome to the Strong Moms Fitness Podcast, where we dive deep into the information you need to be the strongest woman in and out of the gym, even if you are a mom. If you are done going through your pregnancy or postpartum fitness journey, journey clueless and unprepared. If you are ready to commit and say yes to being that badass fit mom who is shredded and stronger than before the baby, well, listen up. Because this is where we talk about all of the things your doctor or trainer never told you about so that you can achieve the body you want and take your athletic strength and performance to the next level. Get ready because here's your host, Daisy Bravo. Hello, hello, hello. Sorry to interrupt, but I've got a little surprise for you. Are you ready to learn how to get your little one consistently sleeping 11 to 12 hours at night so that you can be a functioning human being? I am teaming up with Eva Klein of My Sleeping Baby, who created a free class on this specific topic so that we can hang out live and chat all about it. We'll be chatting about Eva's four-part system that helps exhausted moms get their babies consistently sleeping through the night, establish a peaceful and enjoyable bedtime routine, and unlock the secret to a proper schedule for their little ones. Implementing this system allows you to get a consistent night's sleep and wake up feeling refreshed each morning. Sounds like something you want to learn about? Well, grab a spot in this live class coming to you soon. All you have to do is go to strongmomsfitness.com slash sleep. That's strongmomsfitness.com slash sleep to sign up today. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Strong Moms Fitness Podcast. I am going to jump right in today because I have Eva Klein with me today, and she is a certified infant and child sleep consultant, and she is the founder of My Sleeping Baby and the Sleep Bible Program. Eva's main goal is to help her clients establish healthy sleep habits for their children. After experiencing the debilitating effects of chronic sleep deprivation from her middle child, Eva was inspired to help her family overcome their sleep challenges, truly empathizes with her clients' sleep troubles, and personally invests herself in their sleep journey. In addition to completing her sleep consulting certification, she is a member of the Association of Professional Sleep Consultants, and she completed the 2016 
significant mental health community training through the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. Eva also has her Bachelor of Arts from York University and her law degree from the University of Western Ontario. Eva is a proud wife and mother of two girls and a boy who are all great sleepers and lives with her family in Toronto. She provides individual sleep consultations, facilitates group seminars, and runs an online sleep program and community called The Sleep Bible. So we're going to jump into this chat with Eva. But before I jump in, all right, guys, I have got a little secret for you. On October 26th, Eva will be doing a presentation for the Strong Moms Fitness audience, and it's all about how to get your little one consistently sleeping 11 to 12 hours a night so that you can feel like a functioning human again. So you are going to want to stay tuned to the end of this episode so you can learn how you can get on the list. It's going to be an amazing free training that is full of so many great tips and tricks to get your little one sleeping 11 to 12 hours a night. Who can resist that? So stay tuned and we'll give you all those details after I speak with Eva. So stick around and enjoy this episode. Eva, welcome to the Strong Moms Fitness Podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show today. So I've got like a running list of questions to ask. Mm -hmm. So hopefully not too overwhelming today, but it's not Mm -hmm. so often that I get a sleep trainer for infants and toddlers on on the show. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me here. Awesome. So let's get started. I want to know what exactly you do. How did you start? How did you jump into this? How did you learn this? Did this come out of necessity? Or is this yeah. something you fell into? What I do is I help exhausted parents, usually the moms are the exhausted ones, I help them get their little ones consistently sleeping 11 to 12 hours at night so that they can go back to being functioning humans again. And so I got into this business because of my middle child. So my background is law. And so what happened was, is I finished law school. I had a baby and this baby was one of these unicorn babies that makes me look good. Mm -hmm. She was just the easiest baby in the entire world. And so naturally she was the greatest sleeper. And then a couple of years later, we had another girl and this baby I knew from the very beginning was going to be a very different journey because unlike her older sister, this baby did not sleep. She needed to be held all the time, would scream at the drop of a hat. The neighbors down the road knew when she was upset. And so naturally she was waking me, I kid you not, every 90 minutes all night long. And I thought I was going to die for lack of a better word here. And so I had no choice but to open up the sleep books this time around because I didn't open up one book with my older child. And so that time around, I actually had to figure out what to do because I was going to drown otherwise. And so I managed on my own to make the situation a little bit better. It was still far from perfect, but I got myself some breathing room. And so what I ended up doing was I used the rest of my maternity leave to get my my sleep consultant certification to be able to. And that was six years ago because now my middle child is seven and a half. So I haven't looked back. So here I am. That is 
is quite the story. And this is definitely very new to me. What is involved in the certification process? I'll, I'll tell you that my approach in terms of teaching parents to teach their kids how to sleep, there's four phases to my method. Over the years, I've really perfected my craft, having worked with well over 2,000 families to date. And so I created my signature sleep easy method to help all these babies and kids learn to consistently sleep through the night. And so the first part of that process is establishing the sleep foundations. So we're looking at baby's sleep environment. We're looking at baby's routines. We're looking at daytime nutrition, and we're looking at emotional well-being. All those factors need to be properly in place before we move on to the next step, which is getting baby onto a good schedule. A lot of people don't know that what goes on during the day directly impacts what happens. And so if your baby is overtired because they're not napping enough or because they're going to bed too late, all bets are off in terms of what the night is going to look like. That can cause a lot of night wakings. The next step, we're going to teach the baby how to sleep. And so that's where we want to be teaching them how to sleep independently so that they can learn how to connect their sleep cycles and not be waking up unnecessarily throughout the night. And then the final step, which is the best step to be on, is the maintenance. A lot of people don't know that step even exists, which is making sure that we keep your baby sleeping because we don't want a short-term quick fix that's gonna go out the window the second that your kid hits a regression of some kind or a milestone or needs a different nap schedule. We want to make sure that sleep is always a thing. And so that is the overall approach here. Oh my gosh, so much there. Wow, my head is spinning. So that's great. So let's start with the basics here and break some of that down. Why, aside from the obvious, why is sleep so darn important for infants, babies, and also parents? Yes. I love that you asked that question because it sets the framework for why we're here talking about this right now. Because there is, unfortunately, this very unhealthy, borderline sick mentality that sleep for moms is a luxury and that, okay, I'm a tired mom and this is just the way it has to be. And I'll sleep when my kids are in college. And I can't tell you how unbelievably unhealthy it is because it basically, it puts sleep exhaustion on a pedestal right? It makes it into this whole thing when really, let's pretend there's no baby in the picture for a second and that you just have an adult who is waking very frequently at night. Would you be going, wow, look at you. You're waking up five times a night and you still go to work the next day, like all the power to you. You'd be going, no, oh my gosh, you poor thing. You should go see your doctor. Like, why are you waking five times a night? That's not normal. That's not healthy. You can't function like that. You throw a baby into the picture. Oh, you're you're not supposed to sleep. And that is such a massive problem because chronic sleep deprivation is what can trigger so many other unbelievably unhealthy things. It's one of the keys to maternal mental health, right? And so what can end up happening is you don't get enough sleep and then all of a sudden you're not able to look at the glass half from a sheer neuroscience standpoint. You don't have the ability to be positive. You can't. When your body is deprived of something 
so crucial, like sleep or food or water, your body goes into survival mode. Your stress levels are through the roof just from being exhausted. And then that is a huge trigger of postpartum depression, of postpartum anxiety because of sleep deprivation. And it has this unbelievably unhealthy domino effect where you're bloody exhausted. And then what does that mean? You don't have the energy. So you feel like garbage. And so what are you going to do? You're going to go and heat up the frozen pizza because you're craving carbs and you're craving junky food and you don't have the energy to make yourself something that's going to make you feel good. You don't have the energy to do things that make you feel good. Move your body, go for a walk, exercise, engage in a hobby of some kind, even call your friends. And so it's this awful cycle that you can find yourself in that can be next to impossible to get out of without proper sleep. Because then what happens is you jump in, you say, oh, I've had enough. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I, I can't function like this. I'm afraid to get behind the wheel of my car. I am biting my husband's head off every five seconds because I'm so freaking impatient. I'm biting my toddler's head off because I don't have any patience. I'm not the mom that I want to be. Okay, I've had enough. And so then what happens is we get baby sleeping. All of a sudden, mom wakes up feeling like a human again, and she feels like she can conquer the world. All of a sudden, spending 15 minutes making chicken stir fry doesn't really seem so daunting. And then she's feeding herself healthy, nutrient-dense food. She feels great. She feels energized. She's, yeah, I'm going to go do that 30-minute HIIT workout or Pilates, yoga, whatever it is, a walk, something that's going to make you feel good. It's going to get your endorphins up. And then you start to really feel like your old self again, which is just not possible without that sleep picture, without that sleep puzzle piece in place. And the maternal mental health piece, I think is so forgotten when we bring babies into the mix because society thinks or parts of society for that matter, believe that your job is to sacrifice all of your needs in the name of your baby. When A, you're a person, you matter, right? Just because you have a baby doesn't mean that you're no longer important. B, your baby needs a happy, healthy mommy, right? No one benefits from you feeling like a doormat on a day-to-day basis. And C, your baby is also human. Your baby also needs sleep because all humans were created to need food and water and air and sleep to be able to function and thrive. And so I think that is so unbelievably crucial in terms of setting a foundation for this discussion, because without it, it just sounds like we're talking about something luxurious and completely out of reach that maybe one day you'll be able to have, but it's not really so important because I'm a mom and I'm supposed to be exhausted and I'm supposed to feel like I got hit by a Mack truck on a day-to-day basis. And I just want to tell you that just because that might be quote unquote normal, i.e. it might be common, it doesn't mean that it has to be your normal because it's not my normal and my world. Moms are sleeping. Moms have little babies and infants and toddlers who are regularly sleeping through the night and they're all thriving. That's the way it works in my world. And so I would love for as many people to join my world as possible because I've been in both worlds. I know what the exhausted hit by a Mack truck mom world feels. Been there, done that. I don't want to ever be back in that world ever again, nor would I wish it upon my worst enemy. Love that. Nick brings up another question and I'm sure there's a fluctuation based upon age and I'd like for you to break that down. But you do say that you help exhausted moms get their little ones to consistently sleep 11 to 12 hours. Who is sleeping 11 
to 12 hours. Is that something to expect from your newborns or maybe the toddler age? What is the standard that we should work towards and strive to achieve? What's the ideal yeah. scenario? What, yeah. So listen, obviously every baby is a little bit different. And obviously this also needs to apply to healthy babies, right? When you're dealing with medically compromised babies or babies with feeding issues or whatnot, obviously the rule book is a little bit different. But generally speaking, I can tell you that in terms of healthy full-term infants, we like I like to go by the corrected age if we're dealing with a premature baby. By eight months, they don't have to be waking up anymore at night. A healthy full-term eight-month-old baby is typically capable of sleeping minimum 11 hours straight at night, 7.30 p.m. until 6.30 a.m. the next day. Below that eight-month mark, there is great in that we have some babies that are absolutely still sleeping. They're five, six months of age, and they're sleeping 11 to 12 hours at night. Sometimes they might need to eat once, which is a heck of a difference than eating five times and waking up five times for who knows how many other reasons. By the four-month mark, the three to four-month mark, to be honest, is really when we can be aiming towards getting some nice big chunks of sleep. By four months, we can usually typically get them down to just waking up, sleeping eight hours, waking up, eating, going right back to bed until the... And then, of course, when they're older, eight months and onwards, all the more so should not be waking you up at night on a regular basis. Oh, Obviously things happen. God. Like the other the other day, like my son woke up in the middle of the night and threw up. Okay, <laughs> fine. He's going to call out for me, which is normal and healthy. But that's obviously a one-off scenario. That's not something that's happening on a regular basis. Love it. Even before your baby arrives, you set up your nursery, you buy a crib, you get the room ready. How can we create a positive sleep environment for babies? Do you find that moms need more guidance than looking on Pinterest for how do we create that that environment? Pinterest is great for design ideas of which I am completely 100% useless. Like literally <laughs> never ask me for advice on designing a nursery in terms of color swatches. <laughs> but when it comes to optimizing the room for the best sleep possible, there's a couple of things that you want to keep in mind. Number one, you want the room very dark during daytime hours like super duper dark. And the reason for that is because we want your little ones napping really well. We want them napping when they need to be napping. And it's much more challenging to fall asleep during the day in a brightly lit room when the sun is beaming through your windows. And so when you have blackout lines on those windows, it's going to make it easier for your little one to get the sleep that he needs so that he's not overtired and then can sleep better at night. So you want to keep the lighting situation in mind. I'm a big fan of white noise, really big fan. For the newborns, it creates this womb-like environment, which is inherently calming to them because they spent the last nine months in the womb and the womb was very loud, right? It mimics the sound of the womb. Even when they're in that three to four month mark and they're no longer and they're no longer newborns, I'm a big fan of white noise because it drowns out background noise and it creates a very calming, soothing sleep environment for everyone. So that is, that's where the white noise comes in. And you know what? I'm a big fan of white noise for toddlers as well, because very often they're still sensitive when it comes to background noise as well. And on top of that, the toddler years are typically when their imaginations begin to run wild, wild a little bit. And that's when, you know, the creaky floor or like the gust of wind can be a monster. But if you've got 
the white noise playing in the background and suddenly they can't hear the creaky noise or the gust of the wind, the monster's gone. Monster doesn't make an appearance and it really helps drown out those noises as well and keep your little one's imagination. And so what have I covered here? Yes, so light, sound, in terms of temperature, you want to be aware of like temperature and sleep attire. From a safe sleep standpoint, from a a SIDS prevention standpoint specifically, you do want to make sure that the room is on the cooler side. Overheating is obviously a concern. We're aiming somewhere uh, Celsius because I'm very Canadian and that's how I tick. Somewhere in the 20 to 22 degrees Celsius range, which I believe converts to 69 to 72, somewhere in Fahrenheit, somewhere in that range, you know, with a comfy sleeper and a sleep sack on top, something like that. And then the last thing is if your little one is under one, also from a safe sleep standpoint, you want the crib to be bare, not have anything in there that can be, that can be dangerous. But I'll tell you as a general rule, even when they get a little bit older and you are able to introduce some kind of comfort toy or whatnot, you don't want the room to be incredibly distracting because you don't want to find yourself with a little one, like with the room, so distracting that it's delaying the onset of sleep. So I'll give you an example. I had a client a few years ago and and I still remember this. It was so memorable. It was an eight month old baby. And the mom before the baby was born had this artist paint these beautiful murals on the wall of these life-size animals, monkeys and giraffes. And it was a work of art. But the problem was that this eight month old baby would sit up and talked to the monkey for hours. In the middle of the night, they would hear her just yapping. It was so heartbreaking for them that they had to take mural and paper and tape the monkeys away so that she wouldn't be distracted. Now, obviously not all babies are going to react like that, but you do want to be mindful that you're creating like a calming, soothing environment and that you're not encouraging lots of distraction, I might say. Does that make sense? I'm like laughing over here because I don't know if you have watched the show Modern. Yeah. Cam and Mitch painted the mural of like, yeah. I think they're in loincloths or something. So I'm just visualizing that right, right, in right. my mind. So nothing like that, that is distracting. No, no, don't do. Modern Family is fantastic, but that that piece of parenting <laughs> advice don't replicate. Oh my God, I love it. And I, I appreciate that you brought up things like sleep safety, toys in the bed, That that's super important. And what sort of positioning is best for baby during different stages of So as a general rule, you always want to be putting your baby to sleep on their back because that is what is safest. Now, if they roll onto their tummy on their own, the board, American Academy of Pediatrics, Health Canada, they all say it's totally fine to leave your baby on their tummy because it's believed it's that they clearly will have the strength to be able to reposition themselves if their breathing is obstructed. So general rule, always put baby to sleep on their backs unless you're told by your medical doctor otherwise. Cool. Do you recommend bassinets for infants? Is that necessary to have them in a smaller sleeping vessel or can we put them right into the the crib shortly thereafter? Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'm a big fan of bassinets just because it it mimics that womb-like environment because it's cozy. A, A crib for a newborn baby can really feel like the Pacific Ocean to a huge extent because they are used to, especially the last few couple of months where they're 
like really squished in the womb and they're not used to having so much space. And what's unfamiliar is going to be uncomfortable for them. That's why it's very common, very typical for newborn babies to just want to be held all the time because that is, that's simply what they're used to in the womb. And so something like a bassinet, I think is great to recreate that womb-like environment. And, and then when baby outgrows the bassinet, move them into the crib when they're three, four, five, six months old. I happen to have a really big bassinet. And so my kids slept in that till they were six months and it was totally, but of course, if you have a bigger baby and a smaller bassinet, you can loving, lovingly evict them from the bassinet into the crib and, and not have to think twice about it. Cool. All right. Here's another hot topic. Co-sleeping. Go. Yeah. So look, here's the deal, right? I would never tell someone to do something or not do something if whatever they're doing right now is working. I don't go around preaching, oh, you must get your baby out of your bed and you must put the baby in the crib. As long as your kid isn't co-sleeping with me and isn't in my bed, it doesn't impact me if it works for you. Look, it never worked for us. We never had our kids sleeping in our bed, but that's a personal parenting choice. And so if it actually really works for you, all the power to you, you do you. Here's the thing though, co-sleeping, I find that there are two categories of parents who co-sleep. Category number one are those who love it and wouldn't trade it in for anything. Category number two are parents who dislike it to an extent. They hate it with all their might, but they are in survival mode and don't know what the alternative is. They don't know how to fix it. So if you're in the first category, disregard what I'm talking about because this doesn't apply to you, right? You continue to do what you want to do. If you don't know how to get your kiddo out of your bed and into their own sleep space. I want to assure you that like this is very fixable. And I find a lot of the time that what ends up happening, what what ends up creating this scenario is that you have a baby who doesn't know how to fall asleep independently in their crib. Maybe they need to be fed to sleep. Maybe they need to be rocked to sleep. I do find feeding to sleep is a really common scenario that ends parents up and ends up, why can't I talk? English right now. It ends up, parents end up in this like unwanted co-sleeping arrangement where either baby doesn't transfer to the crib and it's just easier to bring baby into bed initially for the night and just feed them to sleep in their bed. Or maybe they do sleep for a few hours in the crib. And then it is so hard to get them back to sleep in the crib that they go, oh, to hell with this. I'm just going to bring them into bed with me. And it's just easier to get them back to sleep. But then it means that mom's not sleeping. Dad's not sleeping sleeping, baby's moving around, baby's making noise, or like you're afraid to sleep because you don't want to roll on top of your baby because your baby is right there. And so it's it's better than constantly waking up every hour, rocking your kiddo back to sleep and putting them into the crib, but it's still not a great situation. And so this is where going through that step-by-step signature method that I have that needs to include teaching that baby how to sleep independently in the crib to begin with so that they're not waking up feeling like a fish out of water. They're not waking up calling out for you saying, hey, mom, I need you to come back and help me go back to sleep. But by the way, anytime you try transferring me, I'm going to wake up. We eliminate all that to begin with so that they can just learn how to sleep independently, just like you and I. And then that's when a lot of people will ask me a follow-up question. They're going to say, so does that mean I have to let my little one cry it out? Does that mean I have to put them in the crib and have them 
scream bloody murder for hours on end? And the answer is a big, fat, absolutely not. For two main reasons. Number one is that when you go through, when you do things properly and you and you address all those preliminary steps first, you are setting your little one up to be successful. Sleep training of any kind is not going to work when your little one doesn't have a proper schedule, doesn't have routines down pat, is overtired, isn't eating optimally during the day, doesn't have a proper sleep environment. We have to get those puzzle pieces down pat first, and then we move on to sleep training. And I can tell you nine out of 10 times, when I hear about people who have attempted to get their little ones sleeping independently, and they tell me that they cried for hours on end, I would bet my bottom dollar that whatever they were doing was bound to fail before it began, because there was something beforehand that wasn't properly addressed. So that's the first thing I want to emphasize. The second thing is that when it is actually time, if you have everything perfect, great schedule, solid routines, everything's great, and then you put baby down or your toddler down wide awake in their crib or bed, it does not then mean that you have to say, adios, I'm off, and then leave the room and not go back in. There are many approaches that you can take that will allow you to teach your little one how to sleep independently without leaving them alone for an indefinite period of time. There are interventions, whether it means you are in the room with them the entire supporting them physically and emotionally while they figure this out, whether it means you leave and you check on them at specific intervals of time. There are other middle of the road options here that don't need to involve letting your little one scream indefinitely without you going in. Because I would say that a good chunk, if not the majority of people who reach out to me are just not comfortable with that. On the one hand, they don't want to wait till their kid is eight years old before they can sleep through the night. And I don't want them waiting till they're eight years old either. But on the other hand, having them scream their brains off for hours on end is out of the question for them as well. And as a human, that's out of the question for me too. Like for for my own kids, I never did that. And so that is where this happy medium comes in, where it's like you do things properly and you pick a method that you are comfortable with. That is where the magic happens. Sorry guys, here with another interruption, but this is so important and I don't want you to miss out. I want to ask you, do you wake up each morning feeling refreshed after getting another consistent night's sleep from your little one? Said no one ever. Well, if that answer is no, then you are definitely going to want to sign up for my free class that I will be having on October 26th. 2021 with Eva Klein of My Sleeping Baby. We're going to talk about Eva's four-step process to get your little one to sleep through the night, 11 to 12 hours. So I don't know anyone who's going to want to miss this one. So all you need to do to sign up is head to strongmomsfitness.com slash sleep strongmomsfitness.com slash sleep. Back to the show. I've got another one for you. Now, how can we set ourselves up for success during the day? Yeah. So I'll say one of the really important things is that by a certain point, when your little one is no longer a newborn or no longer a brand newborn baby, you want to make sure that they're starting their day around the same time because that's going to help their circadian rhythm, which is also known as their biological clock develop. We want your baby 
baby to learn and understand when it's time to wake and when it's time to sleep so that their biological clock knows and and really comprehends it and understands that so that they can get the best sleep possible. If your little one is waking up for the day, one day at seven and the next day at 9.30 and the next day at eight and the next day at 11, then they're going to be in this perpetual state of jet lag. And then that's where the naps aren't consistent and there is like zero consistency of any kind. And then if the daytime is completely off on a day-to-day basis, then there is no guarantee as to what the night is a crapshoot in terms of what you're looking at. And so step one, in terms of setting your little one up for success during the day is absolutely getting them up around the same time. And that benefits us as well as adults. Like we do best with a fairly consistent morning wake time as well. Now, okay, fine. We are adults, so we're not as sensitive. Our biological clocks aren't as sensitive as babies are. But at the end of the day, if we are consistently waking up at, let's say, 7 a.m. during the week, and then we sleep in until 8 or 9 o'clock on the weekends, that's typically okay. But if one day, if Monday we're up at 7 and the next, and then Tuesday we sleep until 1030, and then on Wednesday we wake up at 6 again, and then on Thursday we're up at 9, we're going to feel like garbage. Your quality of sleep is going to suffer. And so I think it's just important to remember that this is a rule, not even a rule, a, a strong recommendation across the board for everyone, because that's going to allow you to get the best quality sleep as well. Love that. Now, is there a way to retrain your toddlers or little ones who consistently are early risers, if maybe that's the way that they're programmed? Is there a way that we can work that out? Is, is that something doable? Or do we have to just accept the fact that someone's going to wake us up every morning at 4 a.m.? No, gosh, 4 a.m. That's illegal. Like the only time you're allowed to wake up at 4 a.m. is if you're catching a flight to Miami for 6.30 in the morning. Speaking as a true Torontonian, that's the that's like the place, especially in the dead of winter, we like all dream about Miami. Unless that's the case or you have to get up for work, like no, your child should not be waking you up anytime before. Like I consider the sixes to be technically fair game as long as your little one is getting enough sleep over a 24 hour period. I can almost guarantee that if your little one is waking up in the four, there's not enough sleep there. The, the schedule is off or the, your little one is sleep deprived to some degree and they're not getting enough nighttime sleep. And so the answer is yes, you can absolutely teach a child to go back to sleep at four o'clock in the morning until a reasonable hour. And I'll just tell you for the preschoolers who talk and understand and can really comprehend rules and expectations, we've used for my older ones, for my older, my two older kids, we use something here called the grow clock. It's not a very popular product in the U S but I know that there's an okay to wait clock or like a red light, green light, yellow light clock, like a toddler clock of some kinds that basically signals to your little one using either color or imagery when it is time to wait and when it's time to still be asleep because they can't tell time. Maybe they know numbers. Maybe if you had a digital clock, but it's still, they, they don't know their numbers nearly as well as they know their colors. And so when you explain to them, all right, we had a grow clock here, which is basically like the way it works is that on the face of the clock, you have the sun. And so the face of the clock is yellow when it's the daytime. And then when it is still nighttime, the 
the face of the clock is blue and like the, is it a sun or a star? I can't even remember. It's sleeping. Whatever it is, it's sleeping. And so that makes it very clear to the child that this means that you need to stay asleep and, or at least go back to sleep for that matter and stay quiet, not wake up your parents. And I find that tool is extremely helpful when coming up with a plan to address early rising because they might not necessarily care that it's said that it's time to go back to sleep, but at least this way they have an understanding of your expectations of them. Otherwise, I know that it can be very, un- like, it can be very unsettling to not know what time it is and not know if it's time to wake up. And 5 a.m. might seem like it's close enough. And so they just think, oh, okay, I'm going to wake up. But then when they see the clock, they're, they're tempted to then go, oh, okay, maybe I should go back to sleep. Or if they still don't want to, at least they understand that they're not following the rule. And so if there is a consequence that comes from that, then they'll understand why. Mm-hmm. Do you help moms prepare for things like traveling or if they have to maybe change environments? Do you have any like tips or tricks when your routine is, is out of Yeah, a lot of it will come down to the child in terms of how well they sleep on the go in a different environment, in a different home or a hotel or whatnot. And obviously there is what that you can do to prepare, but I think that it is important to recognize that it might not be perfect, right? Because some kids are just not as adaptable to new environments or a different time zone or a different schedule or whatnot as as others. I would say adults are no different, right? I can sleep as long as I have a bed and it's quiet and whatnot. I can sleep anywhere. But I know that my mom is always has always been one of those people that just doesn't sleep well in a hotel. She likes maybe after a little bit, she'll adjust. But for the most part, she sleeps best at home in her bed. And that's just how she's always been. Take that, keep that in mind, obviously, when you're planning and preparing and whatnot. Generally speaking, I would say if you're planning a trip to, let's say, spend time with family, you're going to your parents or your in-laws or whatnot. When you get there, I always encourage parents to allow their little one to spend time just playing and exploring their new sleep environment, their new room, their pack and play. Maybe they're not used to sleeping in a pack and play. Usually they're in their crib. When you allow them time to just get familiarized with the environment, it allows them to get more comfortable and then create these positive associations with that new sleep space, which is going to make adjusting to it a little bit easier. Keep that in mind when it comes to just helping your little one acclimatize to it. And then the other thing I would say is do the best that you can to try to keep your little one on some kind of routine or schedule. Maybe your two-year-old's two-hour nap that he's taking in the crib is going to have to happen in the stroller on the go, which we might not want that to happen on a regular basis, but at least this way, it's a one-off situation. You're traveling, you're on vacation, you're still getting that nap in so that your little one doesn't become an overtired wreck. So do the best you can. Don't throw everything out the window. It's tempted to just go, ugh, to hell with this. We're on vacation. All right, no nap, late bedtime. Everything's going to be a disaster, but what can we do? I wouldn't recommend doing that at all. You're absolutely right. Everything will become a disaster and you want to be able to sleep at least somewhat decently when you're away. So you're doing your best to stick to that routine and schedule and do your best to either allow your little one to nap more on the go than you usually will 
or perhaps try and find some local babysitters, some trusted babysitters that can come and watch your little one sleep while go out for dinner and actually enjoy yourself. So those are just a couple of things to keep in mind, I would say. Cool. Super handy. Now you mentioned napping in there. Is there a time or a sign or when do we know it's time to transition a toddler away from nap? Yeah. So in terms of age, it's going to be a really annoying answer. The age range for a kid dropping a nap is anywhere between two and a half to five years of age, which I know is a massive age range. I would say the average, like the majority of kids are somewhere in that three to three and a half year mark usually. But again, there's always those that drop it earlier. And then there are always those four-year-olds and five-year-olds who start school, who start kindergarten. And by 3.30, by the end of the day, they're done like dinner because they haven't had their nap. There's always those kids as well. But the average is definitely three to three and a half. And I think what I tell people to do is cut back on that nap gradually when bedtime is becoming more and more of a problem. So that's the, that's one of the main things that you want to be looking out for. You don't want your little one napping, but then not going to bed until 10 o'clock every night because they're not tired from napping. And it might not necessarily mean getting rid of the nap completely, but maybe you want to cut it down by 30 or 45 minutes so that they're not napping as long and then they can go to bed more easily at bedtime. Perhaps it might be that even if they nap for 30 or 45 minutes, that bedtime is still a fight. And that's typically when we have to say, okay, that's it. We're done. We got to get rid of the nap. And, and I found, I'll tell you with my middle child, that's basically what happened. So she was actually not even three when we got rid of her nap. She was, if I recall, two years and 10 months. And so what was happening with her was she would wake up for the day at seven. I would nap her from say one 30 and two 45, three o'clock. I'd wake her up after maybe an hour and a half. And then she wouldn't fall asleep sleep until after nine o'clock each night. And so then, so she would sleep from let's say nine until seven with a one hour nap. And so that was 11 hours total of sleep versus when I actually would get rid of the nap, when I would experiment and say, okay, let's see what happens if she doesn't nap at all. She would conk out like a light at seven o'clock and then sleep around the clock until seven, getting me 12 hours of sleep. So the nap was actually robbing her of one full hour of sleep each day. And so that's a a, a very typical example where I tell people like, we got to get rid of that nap. It's not doing you any good. So that's the main thing that you want to be paying attention to is that 30 or 45 minute cat nap still getting in the way of a proper bedtime. Cool. That's super important. Yeah. Looking for those signs as opposed to just saying, all right, you're three now, no more naps. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That totally makes sense. Awesome. Okay. So my brother has found out that they are having triplets and- wow. So my question is, how do these parents that find themselves in a situation with multiple babies start to sleep train? You've got one who's crying. Should you have them in the same rooms? Should they be in separate rooms? What happens when one of them cries or how can they manage this a little bit better and still have sanity? And I know that there might not be a life for a while. It's going to be busy. It's it's definitely going to be busy. And I think off the bat, I would say that is definitely a all hands on deck type of situation. When they talk about using your village, anyone who can help, any responsible adult, semi-responsible adult that has at least one working arm, ideally two, but one will be enough, needs to come and help them. Whether it just means with basic things like feedings and diaper changes and 
holding there. Any extra pair of hands need, will need to come and help them during that first, gosh, year. I would say definitely, definitely that first six months is going to be very busy. And this is, that's not the, se- that's the season in their life where they have to be okay with accepting indefinite amounts. Of- and I don't know your brother or sister. I don't know if they're the type that like, don't like asking people for help and they like being independent and doing their own thing. They have to be, they have to just throw that out the window because they are having triplets. And triplets means that if your neighbor says, hi, can I make you dinner? Cause you're probably really tired. Say, thank you so much. Can I make you a meal train? Absolutely. Can I come and hold the baby? Would you like three? You know, which one, which pick a baby. So off the bat, you need to be very comfortable with that because that's going to be, that's going to be a lifeline for you that the extra support in terms of the actual sleep puzzle, the sleep puzzle piece itself. What I find, look, the, the main thing in the newborn stage to be very mindful of ensuring that they're not up for big periods of time, that they're sleeping very frequently. Usually newborns can't be up for much longer than 45 to 60 minutes before they have to go back to sleep. But when they get a little bit older, that three to four to five month mark, that is definitely when you can begin getting some consistency out of them. And the same way how I talked about waking up one baby around the same time every day, you want to wake up three babies around the, all three around the same time every day so that you can get them into a rhythm, right? Get them up around the same time. You want to stagger it by 15 minutes. So it's a little bit easier on you go for it, but you don't want it to be much more than that because again, you want them on a similar rhythm so that this way you can feed them around the same time or one after another. And then you can aim towards getting them down for their nap, that first morning nap of the day around the same time. When it comes to sleep arrangements, I'll tell you for the families of multiples that I've worked with, some don't have the space to separate them for sleep. And so they have to have them all in the same room and we make it work. It might take a little bit longer because they're waking each other up and whatnot. It's not a trump card, but obvious if you do have the space to let's say have one baby in your room and then one baby in the nursery and I guess in this case there's a third baby put that baby in let's say like the guest room or something and then when they're learning to really sleep like champs then you can move them all into the same room that's obviously most ideal but I do just want to assure people who have multiples and don't have the space to have them in separate rooms that you can absolutely sleep train them properly in the same room as well it just might take a little, little bit long, but they're going to need a lot of help. I'm making full circle back to that original suggestion. There's no getting, there's no getting around that, especially when you don't have enough breasts. I know that there is this, again, I I don't have multiples. I have three, three singletons, but I know that there are, oh my gosh, there was something on Shark Tank. I think it was Shark Tank. I think it's called like the twinsy pillow. It's like this special feeding pillow for, I guess it's meant for twins, hence the Mm -hmm. twinsy pillow. But if you can get two of the three fed, because it's like a special pillow that can hold and support two babies while you're feeding them. You want to get that type of gimmick that's going to make your life a lot easier. So just going on that, do you have any like arsenal of tools that maybe you can shout out and recommend to any moms that are trying to sleep train? And I know that you spoke about your grow clock and you did 
mention a white noise maker. Is there anything else, tricks of the trade that you have? Yeah, definitely. So for the newborns in the zero to three month range, I'm a huge fan of swaddles where, which basically it's like a cute little cocoon type thing that restricts baby's arms from flailing all over the place. Newborns have uh, what's called a Moro reflex, which is this, it's like a startle reflex. And what it does is it just means that their arms are like uncontrollably jolting all over the place and they can be very unsettled. And so what a swaddle does is it recreates, it mimics that type, that tight womb-like environment so that they can feel much more settled. I am personally, I'm a huge fan of the Miracle Blanket, huge fan of it. I love the design. I used it with my kids. I love the design. I love how easy and user-friendly it is. So that's what I strongly recommend that people use for their newborns. For the infants and the toddlers and the preschoolers that are still sleeping in cribs, I am a huge fan of sleep sacks. A sleep sack is basically, it looks like a bowl sleeping bag to an extent, and it's it's a safe, wearable blanket. And the reason why I'm a fan of it is because we all sleep much better under a blanket than we do without one, generally. And when babies are younger, under a year, it's not safe for them. It goes against Sid's recommendations to give them a blanket. This is a safe blanket for them. But even for the older ones where it is technically safe to give them a blanket, what ends up happening is that baby falls asleep at one end of the crib and the blanket's at the opposite end. And then they don't have that comfort anymore. And so that wearable blanket is a blanket that they cannot kick off. And then a bonus reason as to why I'm a big fan of sleep sacks is because for the toddlers who perhaps might be tempted to try jumping out of their crib, the sleep sack is going to make it significantly harder for them to figure that out. Big fan of sleep sacks overall. My two and a half year old is still in a sleep sack. Granted, when he was two or even before two, he figured out how to unzip it. And then from there, learned how to jump out and so of the crib. And so the solution was A, put the sleep sack on backwards so that he reached the zipper and, and that worked like a charm and followed by B, dropping the crib mattress all the way down to the floor and making it too hard for him to actually climb out. So no more prison breaks. Oh my gosh. No, That's he awful. is like happily, yeah, back in his cute little, we'll call it his cell. But the reality is that you don't want your, you don't want to have to find yourself transitioning your two-year-old to a bed because he's jumping out of the crib and running around the house all night long. Like they, two-year-olds just don't have the maturity to handle all the freedom offered by a bed. So keeping them in the crib for as long as possible is in your best interest. Cool. Love that. Thank you. I appreciate that. When you are working with parents to help them establish better sleeping in their children, do you actually help parents establish better sleeping patterns for themselves also? You know what? It's an interesting question, not directly because my zone of genius are the babies, the toddlers, the preschoolers. But what I will say is that a lot of that, a lot of the help and the advice that I give, some of it really is transferable to adults. So, you know, that consistent morning wake time, the fairly consistent bedtime, having a bedtime routine itself. We need bedtime routines just as much as our little ones. They might not have to be as long necessarily, but it actually depends on the adult. For me, I just need five to 10 minutes to wind down, but I have a routine, right? I get into my pajamas. I wash my face. I brush my teeth. I take my vitamins and it's, I put on my lotion. It really, and it happens in like the exact same order. And it's very powerful. It's a very powerful cue to let you know that your brain understand that it's time to shut down very soon. And 
And so our kiddos need that cue, but the reality is that we need that as well. So I think a good chunk of it is definitely transferable to adults as well. If you don't have a bedtime routine and you're struggling with sleep, you need to introduce some kind of bedtime routine that cannot involve any kind of school. Cool. That blue light is going to suppress your <laughs> melatonin production and you don't want that. Gets you every time. Yes. Cool. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to give something for these ladies to take away today. Do you have a little running list of top sleep tips that you can give to our listeners today? Yes. Okay. So I guess main takeaway points. Number one, you want to make sure that your little one's sleep environment is optimal, right? That's important. A dark, cozy, quiet room, very important. Number two, don't disregard the need for a schedule or a routine. You want to have that consistency by the time they have outgrown that newborn stage. You want them na- you want them waking around the same time. You want to start to aim to have some fairly consistent napping happening, fairly consistent early bedtime so that your little one can really understand when it's time to wake and when it's time to sleep. And then number three is if your little one doesn't know how to sleep independently, there's no better time like the present teaching them because if they don't, then there's a high likelihood that they're going to wake up unnecessarily throughout the night. You teach them to sleep independently. And that is one of those really big puzzle pieces that is crucial to make sure that we can get your little one consistently sleeping through the night so that you guys can all go back to being functioning humans again. Oh, I appreciate that. It's just a bad habit of mine. Awesome. So I will be hosting a webinar that Eva is going to give my audience. And I wanted to give you a chance, Eva, to chat about everyone can expect in this webinar. What will you be teaching? What's the end goal? I'd love for you to share a little bit more and and get the ladies ready to sign up for the class. Yeah, absolutely. So the webinar that we've got happening coming up real soon is called How to Get Your Little One Consistently Sleeping 11 to 12 Hours at Night so that you can go back to feeling like a functioning human again. And so I go through the top three biggest mistakes that I see exhausted moms make when they're trying to get their little ones sleeping. And then I delve into way more detail, taking you through step by step what the sleep method like so that you can walk away feeling empowered, knowing what you need to do to get your little ones sleeping and get some sanity. Cool. Awesome. All righty. So before I say goodbye, I would love for you take a moment, plug your website, plug your social media. How are people going to find you online? Yeah. So my website is mysleepingbaby.com. You can find me on Instagram at mysleepingbaby as well as on Facebook at mysleepingbaby. Cool. Appreciate that. And then of course, for that webinar in the show notes, I'm going to have a link that will take you to the sign up page for the webinar. So be be sure to check that out. And um, I'm also going to have it on all my social medias also. So just keep your eyes open for that. I want to thank Eva for taking time out of her day to day to come in, chat with us. There's so many amazing takeaways, so many things to run with, so many things that we can apply and take action on today. So I really want to thank you for bringing your A-game today and really just breaking it down so well for our listeners. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. How awesome was that? So we really just hit the tip of the iceberg with what Eva is going to share with us on October 26th in her class. So now is the time to get your little ones sleeping consistently 11 to 12 hours a night. 
And we're going to learn how to do that in Eva's four-part sleep easy method. So she is going to be sharing with us for free her full-on four-step sleep easy method. And Eva's going to go over her entire system for free live on October 26th. And I really want you to be there with me. I'm going to be there. Eva's going to be there. You're going to be there. You get to interact with her. You get to interact with me. So you're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be an amazing free class. All you need to do to sign up is go to strongmomsfitness.com slash sleep. Strongmomsfitness.com slash sleep. If you've missed this, it's going to be in the show notes. It's going to be on my website. So no excuse. You've got October 26th for this amazing live class with Eva. Just go to strongmomsfitness.com slash sleep. Thank you so much for joining me today for another episode of the Strong Moms Fitness Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And we look forward to seeing you next time on the Strong Moms Fitness Podcast. Now remember, go subscribe so that you are the first to know as soon as new episodes drop. Also, be sure you don't miss out on your chance to win a free program of your choice from Strong Moms Fitness. All you have to do is leave a five-star review. Screenshot it before you submit and send it to Daisy at strongmomsfitness.com. Your review helps other people find our show. And as a thank you, once a month, we choose the review that makes us all warm and tingly inside and award that lucky lady a free program of their choice. So do it now. It could be you. See you next time, you badass mom, you.